Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with property taxes going up across Metro Vancouver. We've got Brad West standing by to talk about the situation in Port Coquitlam. Let's quickly look at the situation in Vancouver. 7.5% property tax hike this year. Last year, it was 10.7%, well ahead of the inflation rate. What does Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim think about tax increases? Here's Here's how he describes it. Now, I know increases like this are hard. Frankly, they suck. Yeah, they, they suck. The tax increases suck. All right, let's discuss it now with my guest, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. Brad, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, so we're taking a look at what's going on in Vancouver, 7.5%, but the mayor stressing that, well, hang on, earlier in the year, uh, we were threatening a 9.5% tax hike. So it's two points lower. So they're, they're taking it easy on taxpayers there. could have been higher. This is the old, what do they call it, under-promise, over-deliver? The old bait-and-bait-and-switch? I don't know. What do you think? Let's, let, let, first of all, give me your take on 7.5% next door in Vancouver here. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, those are historically high numbers, and uh, you see actually across Metro Vancouver, a number of cities are looking at 7 8 nine percent maybe even higher property tax increases and it's no doubt uh, that there's a it, there's no doubt it's a challenging year for cities in terms of rising costs uh, but that's yeah. why it's important that we really double down on our, our efforts because guess what costs are rising for everyone not just cities they're rising for our taxpayers for our residents and you know i think we've established a, a real strong track record in port coquitlam i think we've distinguished ourselves from the region uh, in terms of our property tax rates. And this year, um, after many, many years of, you know, uh, one, two, uh, three property uh, percent property tax rates, uh, we're looking at 3.56 on uh, the city's internal services. Now, we are, like other cities, being passed a bill from the federal government. And I think that that's something that's important for people to understand we're a community that's policed by the RCMP. The yeah. federal government makes decisions around the RCMP in terms of their collective agreements, in terms of the prime minister deciding, okay, every RCMP officer has to have a body-worn camera. They make a number of decisions, and then they don't fund them. So for, that, mm. for us this year, it means that we also have a, a one-time 2% hit because the city has been handed a bill for decisions that the federal government has made with respect to collective agreements with the RCMP, and, and we have to deal with that. Um, but, you know, despite that, I still think in our community, we've, we've really taken the time to go through the budget line by line, apply a tremendous amount of uh, financial scrutiny, uh, really try to guard against empire building, Mike, because I'll tell you, in my time in local government, I, I think that there is um, there's a real temptation amongst uh, management to build an empire within their department. And what that looks like is, okay, I decide that I need an additional staff person or maybe two or three of them. Um, and I come to council and I say, oh, I need these two or three 
uh, new positions. Okay, it's like that commercial, approved, um, <laughs> without saying, okay, uh, department head, have you looked internally in your department? Uh. Ha- have you looked internally? Maybe there's a, there's a position that is no longer required because uh, it's a prior- it was a priority, it, it no longer is. Are there redundancies? Where could you find efficiencies? We go through that. We, we put them through the paces. And through that process, we realize a significant amount of savings, which we pass on uh, to our taxpayers. And the proof has been in the pudding in Porco Quillum because our residents, and I'm really proud of this, Mike, so I'm going to say this one clearly. Our mm-hmm. residents in Porco Quillum every year are paying over $1,000 less in property taxes than the average Metro Vancouver property owner. I mean, that's real money for people uh, to be able to spend as they wish, uh, take care of their needs and their families. And so So I'm I'm really proud of the approach we've used. I'm just doing the math here in my head on the tax increases in POCO that you described there. So there's a basic, there's a a base increase and then there's a a separate increase for for the RCMP. Like, what's the total increase in POCO now? So 3.56 uh, for the city, and we have to deal with that one-time RCMP thing, and that's the two percent. So, so even despite five, that, you know, so five point five six total. Five point five six total. I mean, it's still yeah. going to be the lowest in the region, um, mm. you know, despite having this uh, surprise handed to us from Ottawa. Don't you guys? Don't you guys um, have like a long-term contract with the RCMP, so you know these increases are coming? Like, aren't your costs sort of projected for years out? Why? Why? No, why do they? Go ahead. They're not because, um, I mean, it was more predictable before unionization of the RCMP uh, because the rates that uh, RCMP were going to get in terms of um, uh, raises were uh, were set by Treasury Board. Now the RCMP is unionized, so they go into uh, collective bargaining, and they have just concluded collective bargaining. Um, and so now, I mean, you, you have a little bit of certainty now based on the length of the contract, but prior to that, people were guessing, you know, were they going to get a 3% raise? Were they going to get a 4% raise? You know, what was it going to be? And, you know, to be very clear, I don't begrudge RCMP officers uh, a raise. Um, obviously, yeah. they they need that. They have, a, you know, just one of the most difficult jobs in society. The point being, though, is that these are decisions being made in Ottawa. They, they don't, there's no consultation with the people who have to pay the bill. Uh, and it, ex, it extends beyond uh, wage increases. Again, for instance, the Prime Minister decided that every RCMP officer had to have a body-worn camera. Okay, um, not, I'm not even you know, taking issue with that decision. But that decision has significant financial repercussions. Yeah. The federal government has made it. They don't provide any funding. They say, okay property taxpayers in Port Coquitlam and across the entire country, if you have RCMP, you pay it, um, you know, but it's millions of dollars. Right. So, let me, um, let, let me, let me ask you in the, t- in the time, in the time we have here, the brief period of time we got, uh, let me ask your thoughts on what's going on in, in Vancouver with the Vancouver Park Board here. I, I'm very interested in your, in your thoughts on this. So you've got Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim is, and his council determined to abolish this park board that's been around for over a hundred years. Uh, dismiss these elected officials asking the provincial government to to pass them whatever regulations and laws they need to do it do you uh what do you think of that do you support that i, I know it's not in your wheelhouse there you're the yeah. you're the mayor in a different municipality but i'm just curious your thoughts on it 
Well, I do think it's interesting that Vancouver is the only place apparently in North America uh, that has an elected park board. And, and you don't see a whole bunch of cities looking at that model and saying, hey, that, that works really well. We got to switch to that. You know, it's yeah. kind of the last one standing. Um, you know, the, the process of it all is something for Vancouver and the province to hash out. Um, and I've you know heard critiques around like, well, these people were elected. You should let them finish their term and things like that. So yeah. but so, setting aside the process on the substance, on the substance of it, it seems redundant to me. Yeah. They, they don't have the ability to make any financial decisions. That power rests with council. Um, so you, I'm not entirely sure what types of decisions they are making. Um, but, you know, you see this right across all levels of government. Um, you, you get, you know, you get this, as I was describing it before, this empire building. I mean, in British Columbia, we have tons of health authorities. Every health authority has to have a CEO. They have to have yeah. a dozen vice presidents. They have to have a dozen, you know, second vice presidents. They have to have, you know, directors. Then they have to have managers. And it just, you know, this yeah. is replicated in, in the school system and the health system. Um, and I don't know that it really delivers a heck of a lot in terms of results for people. Right. You know, people who are trying to access those services on the front lines. Um, and, and so, uh, on the substance of it, um, I, I don't see why, uh, you know, why you would have it. Um, and it'll be interesting to watch how it plays out. Yeah. Mayor West, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Mike. Let's talk about some of these small businesses in Vancouver that are struggling here in this economy, especially when you have things like vandalism. And we have talked to store owners, restaurant owners who have had their windows smashed over and over again. It just keeps happening. The costs for this just keep piling up. And this is a serious burden on a lot of businesses, including Finch's Tea House in Vancouver. Very, very popular at West Pender and Homer Street. Been there nearly 20 years. I've got owner Cheryl Matthews standing by to discuss the situation there. Let's have a listen to this report. This is Global News reporter Elisa Tebow. Have a listen. From the street, a large wooden panel covers Finch's Tea House, blocking a newly broken window. On Saturday afternoon, somebody smashed it. Someone was just walking along the street and he stopped, smashed the window, and dude just kept on walking. Yeah, dude just kept on walking, smashed the window, and just keep going on, on their way. Let's check in with Cheryl Matthew here. You heard her voice there at the end of that report. Cheryl is the owner and operator of Finch's Tea House, and I'm very pleased to welcome her. Cheryl, thank you for coming on today. Hey, you're welcome. Good morning. Great. Appreciate it a lot. Tell me a little bit about Finch's Tea House there. You've been at 20 years, right? That's great. <laughs> yeah, it opened, two of us opened it in 2004. Wow. It was spontaneous, and we built 90-odd percent of it with our own hands, just on money I'd saved working. And uh, people liked it, and we've stuck around, and now it's been almost 20 years. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, because I know that running any type of a restaurant or a cafe Boy, that, that is tough. I mean, you've got narrow margins there you've got to deal with and a lot of costs, so congratulations on that. So, Cheryl, let's talk about the challenges you're facing here. Tell me about these broken windows. Like, How many times have your windows been smashed there? Well, over the years, 
usually you get maybe one or two window breaks a year. Some years you get none if you're lucky. Uh, and at worst, I think one year I had four. But I, in the last 18 months, there's been nine broken windows. Oh, man. And, yeah, some of them happen in the daytime now. Usually broken windows are at 2.30 in the morning kind of situation. It's uh, when the bars let out. Oh. And that has more to do with it than anything. But, yeah, now they're starting to be, there's just more, just really people having such a hard time uh, in Vancouver and all over, and it makes people desperate and they lash out. So we've had people breaking windows in the daytime when we're open. So there's this one where he just walked by on Saturday afternoon to smash the window. It's someone we've never seen before, don't have any connection to, and just kept walking, having, I'm sure, a terrible day. Uh, last year, someone from the middle of the intersection threw an apple. It went through our front door window and, like, all the way across the restaurant. And it was, yeah, and it was full so th- this guy, this guy who smashed the window the other day and then just kept walking, like, did how did he smash the window? Did he just punch it, or how did he did he have something in his hand to know. smash it? Yeah, it's a huge window. I don't even yeah. know how big. I mean, it's all it's probably like eight foot wide and most of that high. It's not that yeah. easy to break, but I don't know if he did it with his elbow or if he had something heavy in his hand. Yeah, uh, and my, you know, it's just not a good idea, and staff aren't encouraged to. <laughs> They went out the door and got a picture of him, and police went looking for him, but no sign. Okay. Okay, and is there any indication, like, you know, you, why something like this is happening? Like you have been mentioning people get out of the bars, like it was just drunk people just causing mayhem after they spill out of the bar. Is that one of the explanations? Yeah, it's like yeah. street fights. If you remove alcohol, you remove most of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's mostly... Yeah, I think it's just mostly that. People... Um, Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, just just alcohol-fueled and street fights, and I've had people say they've witnessed it, just people having little altercations and or falling into the windows or, ta- you know, pushing someone into the windows, or I guess the odd time being angry and just smashing something on their way home. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of aggression that often comes with alcohol. And then there's just a then there's a lot of graffiti as well. You know a common one that it's funny. Shop owners know it really well, and most of your listeners will have no idea what this is. But as soon as you notice it, like go through Chinatown, go through anywhere in the downtown east side, yeah. uh, is a thing called acid etching. Do you know what that is? Acid etching? Uh-huh. No, no. What is that? All right. So there's like some kind of industrial acid. And it's apparently it's quite easy to get. I wish it was banned. If somebody did the numbers on how much it costs uh, to deal with it, I'm sure they'd, I hope they would control it more. Uh, it's a, you paint it on windows and uh, whoever tags people into graffiti, but who aren't very good at it, use it with a paintbrush and they tag it on windows. And it eats into the acid, eats into the glass and there's no getting it off. Oh. Like that's it. It's etched glass. Like if you saw a decorated thing where the glass is etched, you can't undo that. Yeah. So there's nothing, and it dribbles all down the window. It's the it's the it's very lame graffiti, and it destroys your window. And oh, once you notice it, you'll just see it everywhere. 
Yeah, no, I'm just googling it here as as we're as we are speaking here, Cheryl, and I see exactly what you mean. I have seen this now, and yeah, you do see this a lot. So, what has this happened at your place? Oh, just just just. <laughs> I think I repaired a window or painted a couple of years ago, and some somebody came along and did that on two windows, and I was so disappointed. And then I came back the next day, and they'd done the rest of the windows. Oh, great. Yeah, what, what do you do in that then, case? Do you have to replace the window at that point? You have to replace the window or oh. live with this terrible looking. And then once one does it, uh, others will come by and do it yeah. Yeah. To, to add to it. So if you don't clean it up, it tends to just draw more yeah. of the same. And then there's the issue of glass insurance. So I don't know what all small, other small businesses do, even though, you know, Finches, like some, we, <laughs> we have floor-to-ceiling windows, right? So that's kind of a problem. Uh, I don't know if other people have glass insurance added to their regular window insurance or added to their regular insurance. But in my case, I've done the numbers, and it was more expensive to have the glass insurance than the average cost of broken windows over the years. Yeah, like well, a lot a, more. A lot it was of like other twenty five hundred bucks or something. Yes, uh, and some of the other business owners I've spoke to on this point will say that the insurance company at some point too will will stop to stop paying because if it happens repeatedly, so they just end up paying out of their own pocket. So Cheryl, let me ask you about the. I know you guys are going through some tough times there, and tell me about your GoFundMe now because you've actually asked your customers to help out. So what is? Tell me about that. What is the appeal here for your GoFundMe? <clears throat> Well, in a sense, you don't want to do it because you don't want to ask. And honestly, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but you, it's just been such a challenging few years. And there's places that I love and we all do in the places that we live. And some of my favorite places have closed down. Yeah. You know, my favorite restaurant, my favorite grocery store. And they were at it for decades. They were great at it. But I think it's, uh, especially a lot of people who were already running really efficiently who had small margins, who aren't huge chains that maybe have more room to play with, uh, have gotten pushed out by COVID and not wanting that to happen to Finches. It's just been a lot of things from COVID to inflation in both my buildings sold, which is another way we lose a lot of businesses in Vancouver. And I've just been trying so hard at it for it. Honestly, to a lot of us who work in food, and I'm so glad that the pandemic has mostly passed in its effects, although it's really had such an impact on people and our habits and our just generally, but um, I think for a lot of people who work in food particularly, and I'm sure a few other industries, kind of industries, it just still feels like March 2020. Yeah. You know, yeah, like are you, then are hasn't you, uh, ended for us. We, I've spent the whole last three years trying to stabilize things. That's all I've done. And how, what sort of desperate situation are you in right now? Like, are you possibly being forced to possibly go out of business here or shut down? It's more just thinking, like, how many more years, you know, yeah. to have, like, to lose two-thirds of your income and just have it go this direction. You know, how it is for so many small business people in Vancouver, CFIB, uh, right, Canadian Federation of Independent Business Debts, it's average small business debts over 100000 from this situation that we didn't have before COVID. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's more I will do my best, and any help that I can get will help us stick around. 
Yeah, I'm just you checking know? out the GoFundMe right now. $9,218 raised so far. How much do you think you need in order to hang in there? Oh, well, 9000 is a huge morale boost. It's great, and it's really helpful. And it all goes just straight to the debt. I know it's so boring, but the Canada Revenue Agency is the only ones that couldn't wait. If you don't pay your suppliers, you'll just go out of business. If you don't pay your utilities, you'll go out of business, right? If you don't pay your insurance, you can't. There's just only, there's only so many things you can, you know? How much are you in debt? Oh, like 90000 90000 okay. Yeah. Okay. And whatever portion of it, it's just hard to see with small... Like everyone's in food, our costs have all gone so far up and our customer base is often down and especially downtown Vancouver where I think 20% of offices are still cleared out compared to pre-COVID. And things take a long time to build up, you know, in our case, like 17 years until COVID. And see, all your costs and the scale of everything scale up with that. And then we were closed for six months and followed everything the government, I think, well-intentioned were trying to do, but it's just had such a huge after-effect on so many of us that have this huge debt that we didn't cause. You know, we didn't get anything for it. Usually to have that kind of debt, you have to do something to cause it, right? Make yeah. a bad decision, uh, run your business poorly, gamble. I don't know. I'm, I've been trying to think of... <laughs> but. You know how you don't usually get this landing on you, and if people can imagine like how long it takes them to pay for you know their student loans or their kids' student loans or to save this for a down payment, I mean years and years and years, and we didn't cause this; we just yeah. cooperated with everything. Okay, and well, the Cheryl, is apparently, I... just a little side note. You know, I don't know if people yeah. have heard the countries that did best with COVID were where people cooperated the most. Mm. You know. Cheryl, I wish you the best. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I, I hope you're able to weather this storm here, and because I know a lot of people love your, your restaurant. Thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. All right, let's talk about the epidemic of truck overpass collisions in Metro Vancouver. This has got to be one of the dumbest series of highway mishaps we've ever seen. There have been at least 29 separate truck overpass hits in Metro over the last couple of years. We've got a major news conference coming up here this afternoon. The Transportation Minister at 12 noon, also the head of the BC Trucking Association, set to make an announcement on this. We expect to hear some stricter safety measures here to prevent this from happening. Perhaps the fines going up as well. Also want to talk about the crackdown on distracted driving in BC and police now using some inventive tactics. The RCMP in Kamloops using undercover op- officers in disguise to catch distracted drivers. Let's discuss with my guest, Grant Gottgatru. Grant is a former traffic police officer. He is now a forensic consultant on traffic violations. ForensicTrafficPro.com. Grant, thanks for coming on. Always my pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Okay, Grant, let's start first with the truck overpass collisions. I mean, this is one of the dumbest things we've seen here over the last couple of years. Why do you think this has been happening here so often? Well, the the drivers of these trucks are obviously not... uh, uh, taking the time to measure the height of their uh, of their load, and yeah. uh, and they probably don't understand the the distance and height with some of the uh, 
with the overpasses. I mean, really, at the end of the day, the 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 blame lies directly on 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 the shoulders of the driver. Yeah. In, in any in any type of a collision, it's the driver that's done you know something wrong, and this is this is no. This is no different. Um, I'm not too sure what the uh, what the announcement's going to be, but um, you know, I think it's time that the government needs to start looking at some of these older overpasses that were built in the 50s and 60s, and maybe it's time to uh, uh, raise them up a little higher. Because really, at the end of the day, that's the only way you're going to stop it from happening. Because the the drivers obviously aren't doing their due diligence. Yeah, they've got. They're required to measure, make sure the measure the load that they're carrying on the back of the truck is at a regulated height. And if they are hauling an overheight load, then they are required to travel along a prescribed route to make sure that any overpasses they go under are going to be tall enough to accommodate them. So, I mean, it's not. <laughs> this is not rocket science here. We're, we're talking about. So, the I wonder about the fines. Like I, I Rob Fleming, the transportation minister. He has been saying for over a year now that the fines are too low. I mean, we've heard some reports about fines of around like 500 bucks for a driver that slams into an overpass. Do you think that those fines should be hiked up? I think if you hit them in the pocketbook, that's always good. Um, I mean, obviously, the higher the fines on the driver, they're more likely going to go to uh, take it to court, try to get lower, mm. obviously, where you... Uh, you you go after the driver and the company. You can levy huge fines against a company versus a driver. Yeah, right? and then what happens then is then the company would um, be forced to make sure that they're hiring the right people for the job for starters, and ensuring that all the uh, height requirements are are met. So I think yeah. I, I think that's probably that would be the best route for the government to go would be to hammer the. Uh, these companies with six, uh, five and six figure fines because, or, or, or make them pay for the cost of the repair. One of the two, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, that very well may be what we see here this afternoon because there have been some companies that have been fined. There's been some companies that have been shut down. There have been orders to help pay for the repair. So we may see all of that uh, tightened up and, and enhanced here this afternoon. So that news conference coming at 12 noon today that will be very interesting grant godka true is my guest okay grant let's talk distracted driving and police officers now going into stealth mode here kind of mission impossible style using costumes like disguises i guess a better description disguises to catch distracted drivers tell me what's going on in cam loops there they got they got police officers there rcmp officers walking around with, with a with a fake baby and like a baby Bjorn, like a baby holder to, so, so they don't, so the driver doesn't suspect they're a police officer, right? What do you think of that? Oh, it's creative. Definitely creative. (laughs) It was done the same when I was on the job. You dress up as a, uh, you know, as someone who's uh, begging for money or whatever, or homeless, you're wandering up and down. And, um, you know, you're certainly, it's, you can do it in uniform too, right? But there's, sure. it's it's creative, but, you know, but there's always the butt factor, you know, and the butt factor here is, okay, uh, we need a little bit, uh, 
I'd like to find out what the stats are because the government and the RCMP like throwing out stats all the time. I'd like to know how many of these tickets were written with the cell phone actually in the hand because the laws changed. There's case law now that, and, and you and I have talked about this before, that simply being in a cup holder is no longer an offense. There has to be some additional evidence of use. Yeah. So, Unfortunately, a lot of police officers aren't up to speed with that particular case law. So, uh, you know, how many of those tickets that are being written at intersections um, are, are, aren't actually offenses, if you know what I mean? And then uh, the other thing is how many of these people were actually talking on the phone as opposed to picking up their phone to look at it again? Um, it is, it is so- interesting to see police using these tactics. So the RCMP in Kamloops, they call it Operation E-Baby, and they, that has police officers in street clothes, in some cases carrying a, a doll, like a fake baby, a doll, strapped onto their back in like a baby Bjorn-type holder. And, you know, you, you can see how that would be... Uh, a driver would not suspect that would be a police officer. You mentioned that sometimes he might use like a, a, a someone who is asking for money. That would actually be a police officer. I've seen other police departments use uh, police officers dressed up as uh, construction workers on a road crew. And they by the, oh, right. suddenly they're a police officer. Let's listen to this yeah. report here. This one's really interesting, Grant. I think you'll enjoy this. This is uh, yeah, police in Indiana. Uh, they went undercover on a school bus. To catch distracted drivers. This is a report from Wave 3 News. Have a listen to this. This bus isn't carrying a church group or school kids. The number one cause of accidents in Seymour is the distracted driver. Are you on the SPD channel? So we've decided to put police officers on school buses. A view from above. That's the job of the spotter. Right, that Audi sports car to the right. She's now on her phone texting. She's looking down on her phone still. She was texting at the light, so I'm assuming she's still texting. Assistant Chief Hayes radioing over to these guys, trailing us a bit, and then pulling over possible distracted drivers. We had 34 citations in a four-hour period, even a marijuana arrest. Yeah, so you got these police officers on a school bus so they can get a view up high. You can see into, from the elevated view from a school bus, you can see into the vehicles next to you and see someone texting using their phone. Man, oh man, that would be an effective method to catch distracted drivers, would it not, Grant? Oh, oh, for sure, and, and you're only limited by your imagination. I know uh, in Coquitlam, the SkyTrain station uh, that's right by the Coquitlam Center there, um, by Henderson Mall, um, some officers will be right up on the platform looking down on on the, on the road. So they're mm-hmm. really getting a bird's eye view. And of course, I was involved in one, uh, a few years ago, uh, using a cherry picker at uh, Capilano Marine. You know, at the end of the day, it's 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 a quick stat. It's an easy stat, and uh, you're only limited by your imagination. Listen, the <laughs> law's been on the books for 13 years. If people are still going to be stupid uh, enough to uh, be touching their phones when they're driving, they quite frankly they they deserve the ticket. The only the only change I would suggest. Um, is because the vast majority of the enforcement for cell phones is at intersections, vehicles are stationary, and people are picking up their phones. That's the vast majority of the enforcement. Yeah. Um, If you're stationary, there should be no points. If you're going to be stupid enough to drive, your car's in motion, okay? 
and you got your phone in your hand, you're texting, you're you're talking fine, you get the four points as well. But mm. if you're stationary, I don't believe there should be points with that because okay, I just okay. it's just my. All right, Grant Kotkatru is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. John in Kelowna. Hiya, John. Go ahead. Good morning. Snowy morning up here. Uh, you drive oh. a school bus. I'm not on the school district program. It's another company that serves the French schools. But I've told Mike this story before. Back in May, my third week on the job, I was road raged. Got it on video. Um, call taker 911 has it on audio. The police did do nothing about this guy. But as far as policemen on the bus, I would really love to have that. You'd have to have permission from head office, of course, but uh, way too many drivers speeding past us when we got the red lights flashing, the stop sign swung out. And uh, there's just too much uh, ignorance towards bus drivers and the school kids there. So, yeah, that policeman on the bus, great idea. And uh, aside from uh, using cell phones and eating and stuff, I see a lot of stuff from my driver's cockpit, too. You, so see, a lot of distra- you see a lot of distracted driving? A lot. In fact, people here yeah. can't even drive their SUVs between the yellow and the white line. Uh, honestly, they're wearing out the lines. You know, they don't really seem to care about what they're doing up here. John, thank you very much for the call. Boy, we've got a lot of calls here. Let's go to another one. Bob in Vancouver. Hi, Bob. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, my daughter got a ticket a few years ago, and what it was, the policeman was dressed up as a homeless person standing on the medium with a sign looking for money. And uh, she's seen him, and she was on her phone, and about a block away, the cop pulled her over. And she said, you didn't see me. And he said, no, but that guy back there, he's the uh, the cop. So Yeah, yeah, that's right. They'll spot it and then maybe radio up ahead to someone who, who will stop them. And Grant, what do you think of that method? Like you mentioned that, did you used to do that yourself, did you say? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. One of our, uh, when I was doing it with Earth, Ursu, uh, Grandview and, and Boundary was uh, our primary location that we'd work. And, yeah, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's fair and reasonable w- way to catch people? Well, it's certainly an easy way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people, I, I, I don't think anyone likes getting a ticket. So, I, you know, I've had them complain because I was sitting on the side of the road running radar. Well, it's not yeah. fair. You're sitting on the side of the road. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, no one likes getting a ticket. You know, like I said, this it's been 13 years. When you pull up to an intersection, put your head on a swivel, look around. Don't touch your phone. Pay attention. Yeah, and that and that homeless person might be a police officer. You you never know. David in Langley. Hi, David. Go ahead. Yes, I've been a career driver here for about, I would say, at least 20, 25 years behind the wheel. And right. the majority of our big problems are we don't follow the, the, our cousins next door to us in Washington where they have laws stating that cars cannot drive or turn in front of big rigs. And make, it makes it a lot easier. It gives us our, our runway room. Basically, it's like stepping on a pop can if we hit a car. And then on, on the other side of the coin, when it comes to dry, uh, distracted driving, I'm not ragging on any, any law enforcement by any degree. I have the highest respect. But I see a lot in my personal self of cops and, and, and any matter of tip law enforcement swerving in and out of lines because they're on their computers or on their cell phones. I would like to see a little bit more enforcement on that level as well. Well, I think they're, matter, they're allowed. No, I think they've... Thank you, David, for that point. Like, I hear this a lot, Grant. You know, people will say, well, hang on a second here. I see police officers using their computer in their in their cop cars. Isn't that distracted? That's not distracted driving, right? They get they're allowed to do that. Correct. Well, yeah, but the the. There are exemptions, obviously, but the the police aren't exempt from 
um, the um, punishment if they crash. So if a police officer mm. is using their computer, they're allowed to. But if they get into a collision because they're on their computer, then um, then there, there's ramifications both under the Motor Vehicle Act and the Police Act. Oh, um, interesting. Hmm. So it's not a free ride, right? Okay. Please. So, Steve in Surrey. Hey, Steve, go ahead. you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. You bet. My brother-in-law has been a short-haul Kenworth operator for 30 years, and he says that there's a distinct uh, shortage of skilled operators available, and uh, these companies are almost being forced to hire basically people that can do nothing more than convert oxygen, uh, <laughs> as he says it. <laughs> It's very scary that these things are forty, fifty thousand pound, and they're rumbling around with very minimal skills. It's it's a huge situation that the government must deal with. Must. Yeah, for sure. I think that's absolutely happening for sure. I've spoken to people in the industry who make that precise point that there are a shortage of drivers, and there are drivers that are under-trained and who are getting behind the wheels of these big rigs. And in some cases, they, they're driving 18-wheelers right off the bat instead of starting with a, a smaller uh, vehicle. Grant, thank you for coming on today. Always my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.